ね、このドロイドを。ウィルセントロイですね。そして、デイリーゴーテンディングスパッション。バイセントロイド。デイリーゴーテンディングスパッション。バイ。
Acts chapter 22, verse 17 through 23, verse 10. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And Proverbs 18, 13. So the Bible readings that you should have done for July the 5th, which would be today, would be First Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1, through First Chronicles chapter 2, verse 17, Acts chapter 23, verses 11 through 35, <clears throat> Psalm chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, and Proverbs chapter 18, verses 14, and 15. So that's what you should have read for today. So I'm going to remind you about that again when we finish up our first of the day for July the 5th, which is what we're going to be getting into right now. So our first of the day for July the 5th, which is today, comes from Romans 15. Verse 4. So here's what that says. It says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So what is Paul telling us there? Paul is telling us that the Old Testament scriptures. <coughs> of great importance to a believer's spiritual life. The Old Testament scriptures are full of personal examples of spiritual victories and failures that can help us as we strive to follow God and to avoid evil. So, and above all, above all, above everything else, right? The wisdom and moral laws of God, as well as his revelation about himself, his plan of salvation, Christ coming, have permanent value. So that's what the Old Testament scriptures are teaching us. So again, your Bible readings for today or First Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 17, Acts chapter 23, 11 through 35, <coughs> Psalm chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, and Proverbs chapter 18, verses 14 and 15. So we have now covered our two verses of the day. <clears throat> now we're going to come to our Through the Bible in One Year. So this is essentially days 185 and 186 combined together. So the section of the book of Acts because that's where we are in right now that we're going to be covering is going to be Acts chapter 2, 
verses 1 through 41. So if you have missed any of these, any of the previous segments, you can get caught up with them by visiting upstatechristian.com. Again, that is upstate Christian, <coughs> upstate Christian dot com. So, like I said, we're in X. We're in X chapter two, and we're going to be covering verses one through forty-one. So, essentially, what we're going to be covering is we're going to be covering the day of Pentecost. But before we can dive into the events that happened on this important day close to 2,000 years ago, we need to understand what Pentecost actually is. <clears throat> so you see, Pentecost was the second great festival of the Jewish year. The first great festival of the Jewish year was Passover, and Pentecost occurred immediately after about 50 days after Passover. So it was a celebration of the harvest when the first fruits of the grain harvest were presented as, uh, as offerings to God. You're going to see that in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 17. See that in Leviticus. 23 for 17. So, in a similar way, Pentecost symbolizes for the church the beginning of God's spiritual harvest of souls in the world. So, the events during this particular Pentecost celebration more than a dividing line between the Holy Spirit's occasional presence. A temporary empowerment on certain individuals, as seen in the Old Testament, it means continual presence, instant, and sustained empowerment now available to all God's people. So on this particular day, he filled the believers with his presence, and he remained with them. So he remained with them. So now we're going to pick up Acts chapter 2, now that we understand what we are talking about when we are talking about the day of Pentecost. So we're going to pick up Acts chapter 2, verse 1, and we're going to go through verse 13. So here's what that particular passage says. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God filling these rooms. 
from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia. Pontius and Asia, Perga and Rome, uh, Perga and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of uh, Libya near Sidene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Grecians and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, What does this mean? Some of them made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. Some external signs preceding the baptism of the Holy Spirit on this occasion showed that God was present and that He was active in a powerful way. There were times in the Old Testament when fire had accompanied God's presence. And when fire had come in God's presence, so a fire among the believers at this Pentecost, at this Pentecost, may have brought all the more assurance that this was the presence of God. The fire may also have symbolized how God's people were consecrated for the work and purpose bringing honor to Christ and of witnessing for him. So the first occasion, so this first occasion of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the only time tongues of fire are mentioned. However, however, so speaking of tongues continuing to accompany baptism in the Holy Spirit, and so on. We'll deal with this idea of speaking in tongues a little bit later. So then what the question that I'm sure you are asking yourself is, what is the significance or the meaning of this first outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost? Right, and so there are six significant things that we need to understand about this, right? So the first one is that it meant the beginning of the fulfillment of God's promise in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, to pour out His Spirit on all His people in the end times. That's the first significant thing. The second significant thing is since that period in church history marked the beginning of the last days, everyone was now confronted with the decision to turn from their own sinful, rebellious ways and to surrender their lives to Christ. That's the second 
significant thing the third significant thing with the is that the disciples were clothed with power from on high, making them able to communicate with boldness and authority the message and truth of Christ. In other words, they became people the Spirit could use to convince others of their lost spiritual condition, of their accountability to God, and of their need for a right relationship with Him that is only possible through faith in Christ. So that's the third significant thing. The fourth significant thing is the Holy Spirit revealed His nature and character as one who deeply desires and strives for the spiritual salvation of people from every nation. So those who received the baptism in the Holy Spirit were filled with the same strong desire for salvation of the human race. That means every single person that walks the face of the earth. In this way, Pentecost is the beginning of world missions, so the, which is, in other words, the effort to take Christ's message to people of every nation and culture. That's what we mean by world missions. So the fifth significant thing that we see here, we see about Pentecost, right, is that the disciples became ministers of the Spirit. So in other words, they preached about how Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead to, prov to provide forgiveness and new life to all who accept him <clears throat> by faith. They also influenced those who accepted Christ to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, who they had received at Pentecost, and leaving others into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, in other words, leaving others into the baptism of the Holy Spirit was vital, vital, that's the key word there, vital to the work spreading Christ's message and developing strong churches throughout the New Testament, and that is still true today. That's the fifth significant thing. The sixth and the final significant thing is that through this baptism in the Spirit, followers of Christ became heirs or successors to Jesus' earthly mission. They continue to do and to teach in the power of the Holy Spirit the same things that. Jesus began to do and to teach. So now let's go back to this whole idea of speaking in tongues, right? So speaking in tongues is a supernatural expression of God's Spirit. It was a Holy Spirit-inspired way of speaking, praying, or praising God, where a believer uses a language he or she has never learned. Right? So when a person 
speaks in tongues, it may be an existing spoken human language that they don't know, they have never learned, or it may be a language unknown on earth. So for more information on that, you can see Second Corinthians 13, 1, where Paul talks about, or mentions, speaking in tongues of angels, so that would be speaking in a language that is unknown on earth. So now let's go back to this part, right, where they said, uh, so how, in the very last verse, verse 13, which says, somehow made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. So now let's talk about this idea of wine. So the word that was used for wine, right, was glycos in Greek, right? I was getting the word used for sweet wine, excuse me, was glycos in Greek. And it normally refers to unfermented, which would be non-alcoholic or non-intoxicating grape juice. So what those who are ridiculing the disciples may have used, so those ridiculing the disciples may have used this term rather than the common New Testament word for wine, onios, which is what that word is in Greek, because they believed that Jesus' disciples only used this type of wine. So in addition to the festival day like this, a typical Jew would not break his overnight fast until about 10 a.m. So it was extremely unlikely that a group of any kind would be drunk at such an early hour. So while some outsiders may have truly thought the believers were drunk, we we'll see that in verse 14, which starts the next section, which is Peter's great keynote address here on the day of Pentecost. Others were probably just being sarcastic when they used the term this way. They used that term in that way. They were just saying, hey, look, these people are doing something strange weird and odd, and so they must be true, have had too much to drink during this period of time. So now we're going to pick up in verse 14, and we're going to go through verse 41, which says, then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last day, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. 
brood on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and bowls of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. And you yourselves know this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. <clears throat> my body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. <clears throat> I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke with the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead. Nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalt to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. <clears throat> when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accept his, those who accepted his message, were baptized, and about three thousand were added to their number that day. So, please, some at Pentecost.
along with his message in Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 26, contains a good pattern for communicating the gospel, which is the good news of forgiveness, new life, and, 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 and an eternal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. So Peter here in his other message lays out six truths about Jesus. So the first one is that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Jesus is crucified, raised from the dead, and he resulted with God the Father. So you see it in verses 22 through 36. He is the, in other words, he is the only one qualified to be Savior, which is to be our Christ and to forgive of our sins. And he is the only one qualified to be the Lord, which is the leader and absolute authority or the supreme authority in our lives. So that's the first truth. The second truth is that now the right hand of his Father, which is the place of highest honor, Jesus Christ has the authority to grant super, uh, to grant spiritual salvation to people and to pour out the Holy Spirit on all his followers. So you see it in verses 16 through 18 and verses 32 to 33. That's the second truth. The third truth is that in order to receive spiritual salvation, which is the have a personal relationship with God. Everyone must place his or her faith in Jesus as Lord and repent of sin, which is to admit and turn from their own God-defying way. And then they are to begin following Jesus and his purposes. We also see here that baptism in water serves as an outward public testimony to the inward cleansing of spiritual salvation. So though baptism does not save a person spiritually, that's a key point here. Baptism does not save you. Water baptism does not save you. Right? It is a clear instruction given in connection with forgiveness of sins. So you'll find that in verses 36 through 38. So true repentance and faith, however, are the conditions for receiving forgiveness and salvation. Now, whether or not you were dunked or sprinkled by somebody at a church, that is not what saves you. True repentance and true faith are what saves you. I know that's kind of hard to understand, but so that's the third truth. The fourth truth is that believers must expect the promised gift of or baptism in the Holy Spirit after they have repented and surrendered their lives to Christ. So we see in verses 38 and 39. The fifth truth is that those who hear and receive Christ's message in faith must separate themselves from the corrupt beliefs, behaviors, and lifestyles that are common in the world. We find it in verse 40. So the sixth and final truth is that Jesus Christ will return to restore 
God's kingdom completely. So considering Peter's bold message on the day of Pentecost, you should notice the difference the baptism and the Holy Spirit made in his life. So less than two months before this, Peter had not even known Jesus. Verses 54 to 62, and had turned away from his few accusers like a coward. But now he boldly confronts thousands of people, many of whom had demanded the execution of Christ. And as a result of this boldness that came through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people responded and accepted Christ that day. And that is where we will pick up tomorrow as we finish Acts chapter 2. So what you need to read to be prepared for that discussion is First Chronicles chapter 2, verse 18 through chapter 4, verse 4, Acts chapter 24, Psalm 4, 1 through 8, and Proverbs chapter 18, verses 16 through 18.